if we're running code on a device we don't own, then it's open source. The code is open source and you can see what's happening because really you should have a right to know what's running on your device. Even if we went, we decided to, you know, be malicious and stuff, we still couldn't take any of your funds. The hardware signer will only um, make a payment with its key, which actually holds your money, if it receives a signature from one of your devices, like your phone. The idea that software just isn't enough on its own. No matter how um, cool the software is, how much you optimize it and everything, having the hardware as well is so important to um, having everything work. Raspberry Pis are not designed to be used 20, like a, as a 24-7 payment device. They don't have error corrected memory in case things go wrong. Um, simply the hardware is not built for, you know, even if you had a legacy finance application where they're not doing all this cryptography and stuff, they wouldn't, they wouldn't dare run something on a Raspberry Pi simply because the hardware is not good enough. As is the 16-year-old founder of Valera, a company uniting hardware and software to bring lightning payments to billions of people. In our conversation, we discuss Indra, which is Valera's lightning node runtime for enabling near-zero cost lightning nodes. We also discussed the idea of connecting your Lightning node to cold keys or wearable devices. And finally, we discussed the idea of using software and hardware and uniting them to build better products. As has also been added to today's show splits, so if you enjoy this episode and if you learn something new, the best way you can support both of us is by sending in sats over the Lightning Network. You can use any podcasting 2.0 app but my favorite to use is Fountain. Before we get into the show, just a quick message from our sponsors. Today's show is sponsored by Voltage, and Voltage is building the Lightning Network Infrastructure Toolkit built for engineers. Today's show is also sponsored by Stackwork. Stackwork is a lightning-powered transcription tool that takes the best of AIs and humans to create better, faster, and less expensive transcripts. We'll have more from Voltage and Stackwork later in the show. As welcome to the show. I'm excited to talk about this latest project that you revealed a little bit about on Twitter the other day uh, and the work you're doing at Valera. But before we get into it, why don't we step back and why don't you tell listeners about how you first discovered Bitcoin? So I discovered Bitcoin for about a year and a half ago, roughly January, um, by accidentally stumbling upon um, Stacks, which was like a is, is a Bitcoin, I'm going to say Bitcoin derived project, um, and sort of went from being interested in the project to um, developing in the ecosystem there, um, and we sort of built up a massive development community, um, tons of projects and stuff, um, but then over time. Uh, for example, I was um, involved in the Coins project. You might have heard of it. Um, but over time, we sort of, um, me and some other core members thought that, you know, thought more about the Bitcoin Maxi side of things and thought more about the ethics. And sort of when you get higher up into the hierarchy, you can see truly what's going on. And we did. And then as a result, we left the Stats ecosystem and we've gone on to found two separate companies, Truebit and Valero. Um, sort of, we're, we're friends. The companies aren't completely related, but um, we've sort of been almost like sister companies since we moved on from Stokes. 
Are you able to reveal some of what you saw at the, the higher up levels at Stacks that, that turned you off from the project? Um, probably just the general attitude from um, some of the community leaders. Um, and it sort of, because I, I found in my community to create like, you know, technical projects and, you know, create developers and like experiences um, that would actually change people's lives. Um, but it ended up feeling like all the leaders want in the community is to make a buck for their pocket, which is exactly what the Matsis have been saying the whole time. And they were right. Mm. Now, Okay, so you, you left the kind of Stacks ecosystem, you decided to build on Bitcoin. What was it, when, when did you make that uh, realization that it was Lightning that you wanted to build on? Um, probably December, January of um, like a year back. So yeah, because we've been working on Valera roughly since, or Valera related things roughly since January of this year. So it's been very undercover and there's been a lot of work under there, but yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and what was it about Lightning that attracted you? What, what what made you go, ah, of course, this is what the, we should be building on? Because ultimately the biggest thing, the biggest change we can make in people's lives is by changing their money, um, changing the way money works. And Lightning is just such a, has such huge potential behind it. Um, one is just a sort of, Technically, it's very uh, um, capable currently, um, but also just because we're, we're not talking about um, like a concept anymore. Lightning is pretty, um, even though it's relatively niche, if you, I can make, you know, $1,000 payments over Lightning from my node um, pretty easily, um, and I can make that in milliseconds, and that's not like a tech demo. That's like me buying um, like ramen for my friends at the store today. <laughs> right, I paid for that over Bitcoin from my Lightning node, and it's stuff like that where I can show off to them, like, you know, this is what I do at work. Um, that's that's the sort of thing I want to do because Lightning just has such huge potential to change the world, and mostly the the fits the money fits the world slogan is very true, um, because mm. a lot of the world's problems can be are rooted back to their legacy financial system, and Lightning is the best way to onboard absolutely everybody in the world to this fairer, equal financial system on Bitcoin. Now, was Lightning something that you discovered after leaving the Stacks ecosystem or had you been had you been following along with progress over the last few years as well? Um, so I've only I've only been around Bitcoin for like the last two, two and a half years, I think roughly. Um, for context, I'm 16. Um, okay. <laughs> and so it's been quite a, you know, stepping stone personally to get up to sort of these levels. Um, but the main, while I was in stats, I was paying attention to lightning for a while, for quite a few months throughout, um, how, because my personal payments, um, I held, even though, um, you know, stats was probably the main thing I was working on. I held all of my, you know, capital and stuff. I held it all in BTC, at least for the most part. Um, so, and then when I wanted to spend, I probably, I've tested out basically all the mobile lightning wallets. I've used LND. Um, I'm currently on Core Lightning um, on a custom server and which is working out for me great so far. 
Um, but yeah, while I was at Stats, I was using mobile wallets. I was using Moon, Zeus, um, well, not Zeus, sorry, um, Phoenix. Phoenix is a great wallet. Um, I'll put that out there. Um, I have no idea how it works behind the technical scenes. Actually, I might take a few guesses, but I'm not that familiar with, let's say, Claire compared to Core Lightning and LND. Um, but Phoenix, as an experience for me, Phoenix was an awesome experience. I've also tried Breeze, but personally, I've preferred using Phoenix over it. But yeah, there was definitely a lot of use of Lightning and also even discussions of bringing like stacked stins onto Lightning, but really it was more of a personal thing and personal thing ledger to get on Lightning. So yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. So you're 16 and you've been building on Bitcoin now for a couple of years and you you recently unveiled or you kind of teased this project that you've been working on at Valera. Is it called Indra? Is that how I pronounce it? Yep. Yep. That's right. It's named after the Hindu god of right. lightning. Yeah. And... I had to look that up to see what the, the naming <laughs> was uh, behind it. But you, you had this tweet storm and um, it, you know it started off with a tweet saying that you're building a lightning node runtime called Indra using LDK. Can we talk, can we maybe give everyone a high level understanding of what is a lightning node runtime and why you chose LDK? Um, there's quite a few options in the lightning space for node implementations. Um, so you've got Core Lightning, uh, LND, massive popular one, Eclair, which is less known, but also probably the third choice. Um, and also various smaller other smaller ones that have been built specifically for mobile wallets and stuff like that, built custom. Um, but what really stood out to us for making things stale and efficient at the scale we need them to work at was LDK um, because of the amount of programmability you get into. You're not just interacting with... Um, because LND, CLN, these are basically programs by themselves and you don't really have much input into them, except you can put plugins, but that, that's not really the same thing. But you don't have um, code control over um, everything they do, like very in-depth control, technical control of what they're doing. Um, yet with LDK, they did something completely different. And basically, instead of building a Lightning node themselves, built a um, sort of a set of code libraries to build Lightning nodes. Um, which is why it stood out so much to us. Um, and as a sort of definition, um, a node runtime is not a node itself, but rather it, you just say, quote unquote, looks after other nodes. Um, so it manages um, everything they need to do to stay active and, you know, work and, you know, function. Um, so unlike a um a regular lightning node where you have um one you basically have one node um you have one public key for example um we we can have hundreds of thousands of public keys under one runtime on one computer um which is a massive deal for sterling things um right so yeah and you you went on in this in this tweet storm i think we can just kind of like walk through it for listeners one of your next tweets was that this will enable what you call always-on, semi-trusted, and non-custodial nodes for essentially zero cost. Um, can you can you talk through this semi-trusted setup and how that works? 
So the semi-trusted setup is sort of, you have to imagine that um, if you're running a Lightning node yourself, for example, on your phone or on your own Raspberry Pi at home, um, then you have all of the data available to you. Um, all of the, um, you know, storing channels, um, storing payment information, stuff like that all happens um, in your node at home. Um, no one else can see that. Um, the the way the semi-trusted bit means um, we have the channel data, we have to store that. Um, and obviously we're not doing anything with this. Um, it's purely um, on the technical side, it's literally raw bytes and it's, in it's encrypted for the node. But the semi-trusted means um, we can't spend the user's money, but we do have access to the data behind it, if that makes sense. So um, the data that would usually only be available to the node runner, um, like you, if you're running it at home, um, that's available to us if we really wanted to. Obviously, as I said, we don't actually use that. And in the technical implementation, it's used for nothing apart from your node. And most of it is done on client side, um, e.g. on your app on your phone and on your devices, which will be, and all the code for our, for um, apps running on your devices um, will be open source. So you can see everything that's going on those. Um, the sort of policy we have there is um, if we're running code on a device we don't own, then it's open source. The code is open source and you can see what's happening because really you should have a right to know what's running on your device. For our server side stuff, um, we own the servers and we have a right to you know hide what's running on them. Um, I think that's sort of a fair deal. And if we want to share access to that code, we can do. Um, the, the, so that the semi-trusted architecture is quite interesting because, um, while we, so yeah, it's, we, we can see some data, but we can't spend your money because, um, ultimately we need your keys to do that, but your keys are secured on a hardware signer that's at your house. That's completely open source and will basically protect your sovereignty. Um, even if we went, we decided to, you know, be malicious and stuff, we still couldn't take any of your funds. We can't confiscate them or anything. Right. So, so this hardware uh, that you might run these Valera node runtimes on, um, is it is does it take the same form factor as something like a Raspberry Pi, or what? Is, what does that look like from a hardware perspective, and how is it different from what someone might expect if they're so the obvious today? The quote-unquote node runtime that runs the Lightning nodes runs on our servers. Okay. Um, it runs on our servers, um, but the, um, the the runtime connects to effectively what the equivalent is of a interconnected internet-connected um, kill card, basically. Um, but instead of you directly interacting with your kill card, like you know, putting in a pin and stuff, all it is is a little brick with a screen on it. Um, that you plug into a USB socket, and then you can control it with the app, open source, obviously, from your phone. Um, and effectively, what it does is that is the device that actually holds the keys to spend your coins with. Um, that is the thing that will have a direct connection over the internet, obviously encrypted um, to the runtime. And whenever you want to, whenever the runtime basically says, hey, I want to spend some funds, for example, it has to go back to your hardware signer, right? There's no way for the runtime to spend your money without the hardware signer. So they're actually very um, 
they're very lightweight, even more lightweight than a Raspberry Pi, for example. Um, but the the sort of difference is that you don't interact with them directly. When you make a payment, instead of like pulling your cold card out, you'll use a different device. Um, could be the app on your phone, could be um, a payment ring, which is one of the things we're working on. Um, but basically, those um, those devices have everything is on a um, cold. Everything uses cold stored keys, as in keys that are never like stored as a file on your computer, um, for example. <laughs> LD, LD here. Um, um, and other uh, other Lightning Node implementations, which basically just store it as a file on your computer, um, these are stored in um, hardware um, secure enclaves, um, both on the hardware signer, which is a custom thing, but then if you have the app on your phone, we're, we're putting the, your keys inside the chip on your phone, right? And it will never come off that chip on your phone. Um, and this is basically having a, a lot of devices all connected at once means um, we never actually need to have a hot key for Lightning um, because, and you never have to interact with your hardware signer at home because your hardware signer trusts the key that's in your phone, right? And basically um, the hardware signer will only um, make a payment with its key, which actually holds your money, if it receives a signature from one of your devices, like your phone, which also wow. means offline payments are completely supported, right? Because your your ring, which is not very smart at all, all it does is when you when you hold it over a reader over NFC, um, it the the point of sale terminal basically sends the almost think of it as like the Lightning invoice to your ring. Your ring does some very basic passing so it can work out the amount and stuff, then shows it to you on a little screen. And um, depending on how you've set up your ring, for example, if it's under like a $10 purchase, then you might just have it automatically sign it and you don't have to do any confirmation. But if you want to do a, you know, a certain amount that might be a bit higher, a bit like Apple Pay, you have to have user confirmation. So actually on the back of, a, back of the ring, you can squeeze it. And that's the user confirmation we get. A bit like how you can squeeze your the tip of the AirPods Pro to like play or pause a track. It's the same tech where you just put it in the back of the ring. And then your ring will basically use its key, which you know never leaves. It's not hot key, it's a cold key. And but that key doesn't actually spend your money. It just identifies from the ring. It authenticates that the message came from the ring. The ring mm-hmm. then basically um gives that back to the um terminal and never talks to the terminal ever again unless you make another payment so it's a very quick um one way thing there the terminal will then do the effort of then using a onion message to basically go and talk to your node and basically say hey i have i have an invoice here that you need to pay i have proof that um one of your devices are paid for it here's the signature from the device then that will wake up your node because in our case that node is on on Lightning Node runtime, so it will go to our server. Mm-hmm. Our server will go, okay, this looks okay, but really, I don't have access to the keys. I need to send it back to your hardware signer for the actual payment to happen. The hardware signer then goes, hey, I recognize this um, public key from the RIN. Like, oh, this is as is RIN. Um, this is an authenticated device. Um, in the last hour, it's made this amount of payments. It's under its hourly limit. This is all okay. And in exchange, then it sends the signatures 
it uses it, its own hardware key to make the signatures to make the payment and sends that back up to Inger. Um, and basically, this all happens with the tap of your hand on the contactless pad, like it, it like a regular Visa card or something like that. This is fascinating. So well, and and during that process, you also get automatic end-to-end encrypted receipts back to your node, um, and all the data from the transaction, all the vouchers and stuff that you might have. That's a wrapper protocol that all happens automatically. All your vouchers are selected automatically for that order and paid for automatically. And all you had to do is hold your own up to it. Wow. So at a very high level, there's this node runtime that's operating on your servers. Mm -hmm. Um, it is talking to an internet connected hardware center, like a cold card, and that can then communicate with a ring or a mobile app, some other interface that you might want to use to actually make a payment if you're on your phone or you have a ring on your hand, right? Yeah. The awesome thing is because it's the actual keys are disconnected from the authentication that completely opens up the field for first party and also third party apps and hardware. Right, because mm. now you can also have your web browser instead of your web browser holding its own keys and managing a lightning node in its browser and doing all that wacky stuff to try to get that working. All it needs to do is talk to a traditional API to which basically talks back to your hardware signer. Um, and it keeps its own key, which it then uses to basically prove that it is an authorized device to your hardware signer. Um, which means you can set you could, you know, we could see like a third party someone could make a web LN wallet with this, right? And right. all they'd have to do is integrate the client-side APIs, and they wouldn't have to think about the Lightning node. They wouldn't have to think about the all the signing capabilities. It would be super easy to make, which also, it opens up so much potential for third-party developers too, because now you can integrate. You can basically build whatever you want on the client side. Because Where does your mind wander when you think about the things that third-party developers could build? What are some of the ideas that have come to mind? Um, something specifically, I remember having an app on my phone. There's a sort of similar thing in the banking side of things. Obviously, it's horrible to use, um, but um, you might have seen apps that basically connect to your bank account and then do, like for example, um, they can do tracking and like tracking on your transactions and do like instead of your accounting, you have to do manually. It can basically auto do all your accounting for you from your transactions directly from your bank account. And someone could build something like that with the API on the front end. Right, so you have this like accounting system built in and it's just pulling mm-hmm. data. But also now, but then you could go from that, but then also, for example, a game on your PC, right? A game on your PC um, could basically ask the um, a, the app on your PC from like Valera, for example, um, and it goes, Hey, I'd like to connect and you know use this as a Lightning integration, um, and all it has to do is use the same API that everything else is using. The first part, the first party apps that we will make are completely open source, which means people will be able to, you know, get inspiration from how we do things in our first party app, build them into third party apps, and really just open the whole market for um, other people who want to integrate it. I mean. There's so much like potential there just on the front end because that allows not only not only do you get all the apps that will be built on the web and stuff like um, with WebLN, but also all the apps and things that need their own Lightning wallets that would previously rely on custodial services now just have an immediate onboarding, right? 
to the lightning ecosystem without needing to think about all the lightning behind it while also not being custodial. Right. Wow. Um, I want to touch on this, you know, cold key setup where you don't have to have your keys on a computer connected to the internet. You can have it on an external uh, hardware signer. Um, why has this not been done before on a, why are none of the other lightning projects taking this approach? There is a, um, a project called VLS, which is validated lightning signer. Um, and they are currently working on, um, something and they have something working for LDK and CLN, I believe we still need to check the code out, but, um, it's definitely going to be something we either integrate or take a lot of inspiration from for how it works. Um, onto our backend side and you know even if uh, i'll put this completely out there but um if if it goes really well then it might be cool to have some of the developers that have been working on vls as an open source project uh we could um you know we'd i think they have exactly the right skills we'd be looking for like for software engineers here at valera exactly the right backgrounds too so if they'd be interested that's this is not a job offer by any uh, by any chance but um, and we definitely need to still look into things, but like that could be, you know, cool thing um, because work has already been done on this front. Um, it's just sort of tidying up and turning it from a technically possible thing to something we can ship to billions around the world. I love it. Um, what does this do to lightning security when you have keys stored on a cold device? Like what, what changes do you expect to see in the ecosystem? Um, when it comes to security? Well, the, the, the thing here is that it's, it's greatly improved as you'd imagine just from, you know, moving hot keys to cold keys is always a great, um, security benefit and also privacy. Um, but the sort of the, another philosophy we have here is, um, that the, the hardware will basically keep any software in check. Um, Meaning even if Valero, well, let's say had a massive hack and decided every single person's node had to be like attacked and would be stolen, um, like you could do with a custodial service, it would be a lot easier to do with a custodial service than us. But if you were say that does happen, which would be catastrophic on our end, and it probably won't happen. Um, but say if it did, um, they'd get absolutely no funds out of it. And also they'd get no data out of it either because not only um is the um the keys to spend your funds on the hardware signer but the um the runtime will actually ask um any unencrypted things it needs to run the node with will only be kept in memory and as soon as the pc is um shut down it completely forgets about it as soon as the server shuts down sorry it completely forgets about that and every time it turns on a node it needs to basically talk to um the your hardware signer to basically go hey could you decrypt this for me um mm. and like can we see can we can we just use this for a minute and your hardware signer goes yeah sure and decrypts it because it can't spend your money it's just like checking um so that that sort of protects it too and like if you even if you had like a complete copy of our whole database be completely useless to basically a hacker if you think about it um and but that's only on our side if you then go into um a normal lightning nodes which either run in hot wallets or hot keys like they do on your phone or they just run on let's say a linux machine which might not be filed 
firewalled off properly. Um, it might have, you know, security vulnerabilities, stuff like that. Um, you know, storing keys on a hot system is never a good idea. Um, and but then now that we can, this is where the hardware keeps the software in check. Because you should basically never trust software that can be modified. But you should have trust in your cold card that when you turn your cold card off and turn it on again in 10 years, it will still work exactly the same way, right? That mm -hmm. cold card is never going to accidentally delete your funds if the firmware is right. And, you know, you should, you, we have basically trust in the fact that um, that hardware is pretty secure. The, the hardware is basically what secures everything in the, the Web2 world too, because, you know, when you boot up your operating system, it talks to a hardware chip to make sure that a hacker hasn't changed the operating system that you're loading up, right? Hard hardware protects basically all security and is the root of all trust in the system. And basically what we're doing is just making that into lightning um, by basically having not only the keys, but also the access control on your um, hardware signer, because not only is it um, like, uh, for example, validating lightning signer, which um, basically works out whether it's been stolen funds from or not. Um, because effectively, if the runtime is going, hey, I need you to sign this, the signer shouldn't just go, oh, here you go. It should go, oh, am I receiving money? That's fine. I can sign that instantly because, you know, there's no risk to me. Or am I sending someone money? Right. I don't want to do that because I didn't I I haven't had proof that the user actually wants to spend this. So actually access control is a massive part of it too. And which is why all our client devices, like the payment runs, first party apps and stuff, um, you can all set limits like on them as if they were almost visa cards, right? You can, but they're custom limits. You can change how much you can spend hourly. You can even freeze a device. Like if you lose your payment ring, you can go on your phone and freeze its access mm -hmm. to your funds instantly, right? Um, and also, even if the internet's down, uh, you can do this all from Bluetooth. Right and connect mm. for, to it directly, um, and then <laughs> if we go even further than that, and then go into um, sort of oh where where else did I want to go with this? Oh, mind blank. Um, okay, so so I just want to clarify the the let's say the worst case scenario for if we can do like a compare and contrast. If I'm running a Lightning node today at home, say it's on a Raspberry Pi. What is the worst case scenario for something going wrong? And what is the worst case scenario in Valera if something goes wrong, someone gets hacked, uh, if, if you guys get hacked, um, there's no funds lost in that process, right? Can you, can no. you kind of compare and contrast what- for, for Raspberry Pi, yeah, you probably lose everything. Mm -hmm. um, um, if anything, the biggest risk on a Raspberry Pi is either you setting it up properly and protecting it from you know the evil quote-unquote hackers who are trying to break in, um, or the, the the hardware failing. Raspberry Pis are not designed to be used twenty like a, as a twenty four seven payment device. They don't have error corrected memory in case things go wrong. Um, simply, the hardware is not built for you know. Even if you had a legacy finance application where they're not doing all this cryptography and stuff, they wouldn't they wouldn't dare run something on a Raspberry Pi simply because the hardware is not good enough to run mm. it. Um, the 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 thing that would happen, probably the worst case scenario with Valero isn't us getting hacked, but probably you just getting the um, traditional $5 wrench attack, right? Or right. $10 now because of inflation. Um, <laughs> but if you 
the the problem is um on that front but then that's not really a valera issue that's a sort of a general security issue at that point because the the one of the interesting things i remember now what i was going to say about the hardware devices the, the signer that you keep at home you don't interact with this directly right um you can't you can't um when you make a payment it's not actually making a payment from your ring to the hardware device it's going from your ring to the terminal through the lightning network into your node into the runtime back to your signer and then back to the runtime to make the payment um which means if someone comes around to your house unplugs your signer steals it and then tries to blackmail you there's basically absolutely no way they can get the funds anyway because of that hardware security because that that um that live signer is what we're calling it that live signer will not unlock without a valid signature from your devices right from your client devices it won't it won't unlock its control it's not like a cold card where you can guess the pin or something because that's user interaction this thing will literally just not talk to them right hmm. um and if you want proper secure setups for example um when you're going into generational wealth or corporate wealth we're talking about multi-sig live signers you can geographically distribute all of these live signers. Obviously, that adds latency, but latency is not a problem when you're submitting, when you're securing billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin, right? Um, what's what's more important is not losing the billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. Um, right. So having the having them not be interactive, then they'd also have to steal multiple of your live signers to try and break in or even if you're if you're running like a two of three setup with a multi-sig you can even that's almost redundancy if one of the live signers just breaks or gets stolen the whole funds are still fine because you have, still have two signers available right mm -hmm. and even if you have a power chat at one location the other two will still be available right that's sort of if you want this thin scales from absolutely everything down to um like individual people like a single person you know living in an apartment by themselves to families where they can all share one live signer they don't have to buy one per person like you would with a child card for example um they can all just use separate access controls on the live signer um all the way up to massive corporate vaults um that are spread across multiple data centers they might be behind massive firewalls and stuff scattered everywhere to protect corporate assets um Right. It scales. It scales from that all the way up, um, which is sort of the magic of the security model. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just a quick message from our sponsor. Voltage empowers engineers with the tools to integrate Bitcoin and Lightning Network payments within their business stack with an enterprise-grade experience. The team at Voltage is building the complete tool set so that you can do more than simply spin up nodes, but you can also understand and interpret your node's data. Their new product, Surge, gives engineers the ability to quickly solve problems and optimize their operations. With node insights and visibility through time series data, you get dynamic and complex insights that were never available before. You can get complete control of your Bitcoin and Lightning tech stack with insanely fast onboarding, advanced client-side encryption, and zero management infrastructure to make backups, networking, and upgrades simple. Get a free seven-day trial today at voltage.cloud. Now, one thing I want to bring up on the uh, scalability side is you mentioned in your, your Twitter thread that uh, you could bring the cost of operating a Lightning node down by about, I think it was 10,000x. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So effectively zero. 
Can you talk mm -hmm. me through how that works? Um, so effectively behind the scenes, um, your lightning node, um, how the runtime makes it so efficient and runs so many of these at the same time is by ironically not running all of these at the same time. Um, because traditionally you might need like a server, like a virtual server for each one or a Raspberry Pi for each one, but that doesn't scale very well. Um, and because of um, how C CLN and the other node implementations are built, that, that's sort of the way they expect you to use it is one node per server or a few nodes per server. Um, what we're doing is the complete opposite, which is thousands, hundreds of thousands of nodes per server, right? We're literally, the, the main limitation here is not actually the, um, the compute and memory res resources of the server, but actually the amount of ports we have available on the machine and our internet addresses we can actually give you. That's what it's limited by because that 480,000 comes from um, 10 IP addresses with 48,000 ports open each. And um, that will probably be less per IP in production because we will have to keep some open. Um, but generally, that's the sort of thing we're looking at. Um, the, the the way it gets it down by is by not running them all at the same time and only running them when they need to be active. Basically, the runtime pretends to be the nodes it's running. So, for example, if you're running a core lightning node, which is a full, you know, full node that runs on your server, um, to the rest of the lightning node, to to the rest of the lightning network, including your full node, um, one of the nodes on Indra is a completely normal node because it's basically doing a ton of things to make it seem like it is a completely normal node. Unlike a mobile node where your mobile phone could be out of signal in some places or not be available, you can't open ports on it because of firewall and stuff and security. Um, instead, we will literally um, put the pretend to be your node um, if we if we need to be. For example, um, sometimes if there's a message in Lightning, which is the pin message, to basically check, hey, are you awake? Basically from another Lightning node. Um, and you respond, pon. Um, back very simple message but that requires absolutely no um we don't actually switch your lightning node on to actually do that um we, we actually hand we pretend to be your node from the runtime and basically say pon for you and we don't even boot up your node in the first place and the these nodes are expected to be not routers like um for example like serifree routing or even like my personal node um but rather they're meant to be um light nodes that you know how many coffees do you buy a day right you don't actually use your card that often per day um so we can we can achieve that scale because simply you're not using it most of the time and we can shut them down mm. and then by basically bundling all of that into one thing we can make it super efficient and basically cut the average costs down okay that makes sense so this is a highly efficient system where you can run up to i think it was four hundred eighty thousand nodes in one server but That's there are doing. performance potentially performance benefits to still operating one node one server if you are a zero fee routing or some some big routing node is that correct yeah of course and in fact um what we're talking about here is purely the light nodes effectively what they are is light nodes almost um so when you think about that compared to um those light nodes will need to somewhere to send their um, payments over which will be one of our LSP routers. It won't be, though our routers will be custom made in LDK because we have a lot more features to add into our LSP than just um, the basic line you know, to make capabilities. And also we want, you know, that programmability over the 
And we like building things from the ground up and engineering them to be exactly perfect for what we need them to do. Um, so, in fact, we have Indra, which will run thousands, hundreds of thousands of nodes on one server. And then we will have a, our own routers, uh, which will probably be closed source because they don't need to be open source. Because the likelihood is you won't be running these with like 10,000 transactions per second. Right. Um, and for if your average, you know, um, you know, self-sovereign operation at home, you can just use CLN or something else. Um, our, our LSP is very designed and custom designed and engineered for our internal networks and stuff like that. You don't really need to see the code behind it as long as you know it's a Lightning node. Um, and that that one will use. It might even run one node across multiple servers, for example. Because at that scale, you might need to, a bit like Eclair does, um, or the Eclair lets you do, um, is run it over multiple servers. So there's a lot of, um, there's sort of, there are two extremes, I suppose, because one is hundreds of thousands of transactions per second capability, um, which is the router, and then the others are like not even one transaction per second on average per node. And so uh, on Indra, do you expect that the, the ability, like if, if I'm trying to pay for, let's use the classic pay for a coffee example, um, mm -hmm. will I have a faster experience on Indra or running my own node and trying to connect that? Indra, easily, okay. because um, not only are you, um, but also it'd be way more reliable too, um, because instead of going and relying on your nodes to do all the pathfinding calculations, and also one of the things, when you have 480,000 people making payments, um, one of the advantages of this is we can actually share the Pathfinder, right? Mm. So usually your Lightning node learns by, you know, making payments by itself, you know, when you make pie a coffee and it tries 30 different ways and, you know, you have to stand there for 15 seconds while it does to find the right route. And then it goes, hey, I found a good way. And then it records that route. Um, but instead, now we've got 480,000 people doing that and all of them have um and it's all under one one pathfinding algorithm so right. our algorithms uh, that run in injure not only that 480,000 person per server but then injures injure runtimes can actually connect to one another so um you'll actually find them sharing and improving each other's root calculations so that's efficient by itself but then also, or if you're using Indra, you're probably going to be using LSP too. And our LSP is a beast by itself. Um, so the the sort of goal is to have 99.99% or something um, of the Lightning Network available at any point within two hops, <laughs> which is which is quite the um, quite the liquidity goal. And not, that just means your payments will get there a lot faster. And if they don't get there, we will our, our LSP will try the hardest to get that payment to where it needs to be. Um, even if that means opening a channel, or for example, if the shop has run out of inbound liquidity, and traditionally your your phone would go, oh no, it couldn't receive the payment because you know they didn't have enough liquidity. You won't find that out. It just said payment failed. Um, mm. But the in in for our LSP, our LSP will basically brute force and splice open their channel, add more inbound liquidity to it, put your toffee payment through, um, close the channel, zero comfort, and then basically put the payment through instantly while opening the channel. And basically, it will try its absolute hardest to get that payment to where it needs to be, is basically what I'm saying. Um, there's, it's, It will be 
the idea is that the LSP does everything from currency conversions and replaces your exchanges, um, which is a whole new conversation. Um, but it does everything from currency conversions with Taro and stuff all the way to a virtual channels, which are basically, if you think about it, um, most most LSPs currently use um, effectively one node um, to source because that's most efficient. Um, but we want to use multiple ones to lower latency around the world because we're talking about onboarding the whole world here. So um, our nodes will need to be able to send payments to each other. Um, but the problem is that um, over Lightning, you usually have to have, well, you have to have channels to pay to send the payment over. And then when you have channels, you have to think about rebalancing and stuff like that, which is a real pain when you're trying to, especially when all the Bitcoin, um, the, the advantage of Lightning is that it's trustless, right? Um, but for, I trust myself, right? The, the, our LSP node in London trusts our own LSP node in New York because we're owned by the same person. It doesn't matter if it makes a payment to the node in New York because that money is just moving between inside the same company, right? That's absolutely, it makes no difference whether which node it exits, which is why we also use virtual channels, which are basically, imagine infinitely sized channels that aren't actually, that don't actually exist on chain, but the nodes will act like they do exist. And when, for example, if you made a payment from London to um, New York or a node that's connected to our New York node, um, it will send the payment and forward the payment from London to New York without actually a channel in between it. It will basically send the message that says, hey, you need to send this payment. But then um, the New York one will recognize that, hey, this guy is also owned by the same company and there is no need for a channel between us and it will send it over by itself. And it's sort of all those magic things in between that, that basically power that LSB to make it like the most reliable thing you could like probably more reliable than fear at that point. Um, wow. You could, so I, yeah. I wanted there's, to a, there's a lot the there. Sorry to digest. No, that that's incredible. Um, I want to, I want to double click on the reliability because when you were talking about how you can, not, you can start to learn the pathfinding from all the other nodes that are on this runtime and then share pathfinding between runtimes. It's almost like you're building this like hive mind that is, now, now other nodes are able to like collectively figure out what the optimal path for a lightning payment might be. Um, what do you think this does to, if a lot of people come in and adopt Indra, what does this do to payment reliability on the network as a whole, right? Like, is this something that is, that builds upon itself to the point where everyone wants to use Indra in the same way that, you know, Google search was this little hive mind that, as people started using it, as sites started getting indexed, it just became this like beast that, of course, everyone wanted to be connected to Google and wanted to be using Google. Um, it just it kind of like built on itself because right? they have the insights. Yeah, they've got all the data, and then and then of course it makes the search experience even better, and then it, it kind of snowballs. Is that something mm -hmm. you expect to see on Indra? Uh, yes, I think potentially that could be a massive thing about, um, the, what you said about the hive mind is definitely correct. Um, because even if we think about, um, when we, uh, for example, if you're in London or in, if you're in the UK, you'll want your node to be running in the UK servers. Right. Um, but then if you go abroad, we don't want to, to you know, if you're making a payment to somewhere in China and you're going from your 
your client device in China to your payment, you know, the shop in China, you don't want to go all the way back to London and then London all the way back to China to make that payment. So actually, um, this is very technical detail, but the um, runtime actually agrees on where nodes should be and will talk basically with other um, Indra runtimes and basically work out who should be uh, running what node. Um, so your mood, your node isn't just restricted like as a regular server would be to a regular location, like one location like in London, uh, but actually it can migrate in real time to be where it, where you are. Um, and the the nodes will actually communicate with one another because running two two lightning nodes at the same time is very dangerous, right? Because you'll get state mix ups and stuff like that. But the um, the good thing is we have hardware like the live signers will actually be the root of trust anyway. There will always be the people the the, the devices that know the channel state and they can protect against. Um, multiple um, instances even if indra messes up and then starts running multiple versions of the same node because the live signer is the one that's actually making the signatures and there's only a few of the live signers and they have their own consensus me mechanism um they actually control and can protect against those events when they happen um so yeah it's it's definitely a hive mind sort of thing and the but payment route payment reliability will definitely just effectively skyrocket almost exponentially because it's a bit like doodle like where you have um as you said like more you had doodles indexing but then more people were joining and then providing more data and insights that then doodle is using to train itself get better but then more people are joining because suddenly it's got better and their work is you know you know they can't use um the old search engines anymore because they're less efficient and it's yeah that snowballing effect because Andrew would be basically learn so much about how the lightning liquidity and have insights on basically every single channel in the network because it's so um it will have the capability to talk with other injurers who also have experience with dealing with those and you have 99.9 .9 or whatever percent we eventually agree on you know putting as the goal um it will also have um it will know where all of that is and we're talking about basically combining um instead of your one node we might be combining hundreds of millions of users worth of transaction um data not in a uh like a privacy um like not in a way that would threaten privacy because it's all aggregated and all it is is basically learning the best paths it doesn't really care that you made a coffee payment in london Right, all of that does is it basically add to a store that's then combined with everyone else's store to basically work out the most efficient path on the network. Mm. So, interesting. Yeah. Now, you are introducing a lot of new ideas in this conversation, a lot of fresh ideas that I haven't heard many people discuss. And I've, you know, I've had about eighty or so people on the show so far, and um, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing more about how you how you think about the things that we need to build in Lightning, what your vision is for Valera as a company, and, and some of the, the frameworks that you're using to think about these ideas, because um, you know, it, it's, it's refreshing to see new ideas pop up in interesting ways. And uh, to be doing all this at 16 after you know, only being in the Bitcoin space for a couple of years, um, it's really interesting. So I'd love to hear more about the vision for the company. So the, the, the sort of um, 
if we if we drove to the first question, which was like the general lightning ecosystem as a whole, really, um, we should really just keep doing what we're currently doing, which is um, we're putting new concepts together, making new you know apps that are really cool. But also at the same time, we need to be consolidating our base layer and um, you know consolidating payment reliability and actually making it work all of the time on the bottom because um you know you might have there was a really cool idea that we were discussing the other day where um about a company that's working on lightning payments and basically charging an electric vehicle with basically sats and that is an absolutely phenomenal idea right but it will not work unless your actual payments go through <laughs> Right, they can't be taking fifteen seconds to settle because it's finding a good route to do it, and and then erroring after after you charge the thirty six percent on your car because there's no more inbound liquidity. Right, is this um, distributed? It has charge? to keep working. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, um, actually, I've submitted an Indra for the challenge too. Um, so Very hopefully, cool. you know, we have to see what happens out of that. Um, we have to find out. Uh, specifically for the global adoption one because I I think it's a really big deal because you know pretty game changer by itself um and then for valera as a company in general um the vision is to onboard absolutely as many people well probably this a similar idea to many other lightning companies basically onboard as many people as possible to the lightning network um but then at the same time we don't want to be throwing these words at them like technical jargon like the lightning network because people who use cash app don't care about its engineering stack behind it unless you're a nerd and read their engineering blog, which, you know, go for go you, because I also do that. But <laughs> but the um the majority of users don't actually do that. And we have to we have to think about that because most people don't care what a bolt 12 or a bolt 11 invoice is. They don't care if they're given a Bitcoin address by the friend. Or that when they when I want to send a payment, let's say to you, Right. And, you know, say you give me my phone number and we're texting over iMessage or something similar. When I go into my wallet, I just want to see your, you know, your picture there and your profile there. And I want to tap your name and then I want to send you a payment. I don't care if I don't care if I want to send it from my USD account, if I want to send it in pounds and then you receive it in Canadian dollars. I don't care if you want to receive it in Bitcoin. That's your preference. I just want it to get to you and I want it to get to you quickly and reliably. Right? I don't care what happens under the knee, underneath, and basically no one else does either. The thing is, we need to we need to think about that more because what we're doing is amazing, but most people don't care about the ins and outs of it. They just right. care about the 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 end product. But then that's not the only thing because we want to open that up. We we want to open. None of this happens, and we don't onboard everyone if you don't have cool apps to use it with. So mm -hmm. stacking news, um, the electric virtual charging thing, all of that, that's why having third-party APIs and letting absolutely everyone basically connect in and rather rather than limit it to like almost um, think about like, you know, imagine a cash app, but absolutely all of your apps can basically plug into it. It's a bit like um, what Apple did when they introduced Apple Pay, right? Because Apple Pay became a system-wide thin and now every app you go on to on ios when you want to make a payment when you want to buy something with there's a big apple pay button at the bottom and you love using it because it's so simple right and you know it works and it's so reliable and it's really secure too right and that you you and and that's the that's the sort of and if anything apple was uh is sort of a big inspiration here too because 
the fusion of hardware and software that are so like designed to build to work with one another is basically what we think will change how lightning works overall and we don't even want to say lightning lightning overall but we want to say the finance system right we want to completely replace absolutely everything and we have the possibility we have the potential to lightning does currently we just need to get it to the point where it's reliable fast and has all these abilities um constantly rather than sometimes your payment will go through and it would be really impressive to all your friends and then sometimes you'll um open your app and make a payment and then end up waiting 30 seconds for your payment to go through looking very embarrassed and sorry for yourself right there's right. a there's, <laughs> we want to we want to absolutely blow people's minds and for example my friends who are you know 16 they're in college right these people they don't even have cash up on their phone um when they were paying me back today um for the um, ramen i bought everyone um they you know i was reading out my bank account details to them right <laughs> but instead um instead of that when they download the app they shouldn't need to buy a hardware signer they should literally just open that app. there's no sign up there's no please record your keys etc um you literally just open the app and it's there right it will ask to see your contacts and you know some other permissions so it can work properly but as soon as you onboard to that and then as soon as i send you a payment you can download the phone sorry not download the phone download the app onto your phone um and i should then be able to see your contact pop up in real time when you download the app um not me closing the app refreshing the app and then going back to see if your name's there i want to see it pop up in real time with your profile picture click on you and have that same experience without you didn't need to open any channels you don't know what a channel is right my friends don't care what a channel is it's really cool to them but they don't care right um yeah all I want to do is, you know, you know, send them some money or they send me some money. It doesn't matter how that happens in the first place, as long as it does. Right. I think that's and really it does important. quickly and reliably. That's something that um, I, I hope we we appreciate more uh, as as Lightning and Bitcoin development um, improves. I hope we take uh, I, I hope we start to consider some of these things that a lot of regular users who are not Lightning or Bitcoin nerds they just don't care about, right? Like lightning at the end of the day, it is a tool and it's a useful tool, but it's not the thing. People don't want to see the tool. They just want to, they want to use the tool in the background and have something magical happen on their phone. Um, mm -hmm. and so I a hundred percent agree with where your head's at there. Um, I want to if touch any... on one other, uh, one other point on Indra. I, I think at the end of the thread that you wrote introducing the project, you, you said you weren't sure if you're going to open source it, can you talk me through some of the trade-offs that you're thinking about in this process of whether or not to open source it? So the biggest choice about open sourcing it is um, Indra is effectively Valera's special source. We have what no one else currently has, um, which is the ability to basically, you know, if we, I don't want to call out any competitors' names because you know there's, I don't want to see them as competitors, but rather partners, you know, in getting lightning to the world and everything. But um, there is, from an investment standpoint, you know, when we're pitching to investors and stuff, they don't want to see our tech just go from, um, you know, from being a completely game-changing to then basically being given out for free because they won't get return from it. The company basically won't be profitable and we won't have the, the early-on advantage that we do currently because currently we can do things for 10,000 times cheaper than every, everyone else can. If, that, if we took that to a different market where that was a lot less niche, that would be a huge deal, right? That it would be so game changing. It would probably 
break most of the autonomy in that industry. Luckily, we're a niche one, so um, Angel won't be breaking, you know, the rest of everyone else's toad and businesses. But the there's a we we don't want to sort of give it away. I don't think it's ready to be given away for free quite yet. I mean, if it becomes if centralization becomes a problem, and you know, other lightning companies are might be struggling to you know keep up with adoption relative to us, which would be really good, but also really bad at the same time. We will open source it. Right. The we we there's a difference between um us wanting to keep our head start a bit and us completely trying to dominate the market and kill basically um get rid of everything every other company that's trying to do stuff too because that's just unfair right and also it's not the way to grow a community and or an ecosystem mm. right that's that's like turning that's like turning um fintech into just Square or just cash up. Right, that's this. I mean, from a from a, a purely capitalist point of view, that sort of might be the one most people take is, then yes, it would be awesome just for us to have complete advantage and complete control over the whole market. But we we don't want to do that because there's a bit more than, there's a lot more than um, I suppose in the current world we live in. It's more of a a hyper capitalist sort of view, which is purely profit. Um, user data, um, user privacy, individual sovereignty doesn't matter as long as you can basically complete break, completely break humans down to um, a data stream, right? That's not what we're about. We're about you know changing the world, but we still want to you know work as an actual company. So mm-hmm. there's there's I just want to say there's a there's definitely a limit to what we will say when we say you know it will be closed source and our server side stuff will be closed source, but then. Most of the other server-side stuff that we use might not even be useful to many people because it's so highly customized to our setup uh, and our whole like tech stack that it's probably not very useful to many people. Indra is probably the most useful, at least for other companies, to basically onboard users with. Um, so we'll have to see. It, it's it's definitely not going to be uh, a quick or an easy decision about like whether it happens or not. At the moment, it will stay closed source and definitely probably for a while yet until you know at least maybe quite a few months slash years into production it will be closed source but if it does like actually start being a problem but not just if if it starts being a problem then yes it is worth open sourcing it and we will we won't hesitate to right now let's let's do a hypothetical here we get imagine some other competitor or some other companies in the space find ways to decrease the cost of running a node by 10,000 X as well, right? Independent of whether you guys open source or not. Um, if, if the cost is now effectively zero across the industry for running a node, what do you think about as the competitive advantage for Valero? What, what's the moat that you then it use? Starts, it starts to be the little things that start to matter when, and if, if other people can get to that stage, if other companies start working on this and, you know, putting the effort to build all of this themselves and put it out to the scale that we do, that is utterly awesome. And I'd be very happy to have you as a competitor, right? <laughs> if anything, we're, you've basically doubled our, um, because it's not just about like growing the company, but it's also grow, growing the ecosystem because growing the ecosystem will naturally grow the company anyway. Right. So it's not it's it's not just a selfish approach. Like this is just like me doing this. We need to get everyone, you know, doing this, too. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it would be a problem in that scenario. Um, it, if anything, it will be the little differences that start to distinguish. I mean, 
if you think about the difference between Breeze and Phoenix, isn't a lot, right? Personally, I prefer Phoenix, right? It's it's very little differences like that. For example, I I just prefer how it's like a native UI rather than using Flutter. For example, that's that's just a very technical point of view, but I liked the UI on Phoenix better than I do on um on Breeze. And that's simple as that. They're very similar in functionality. But I prefer one of them, and that's fine because most of our users will pick, you know, one or the other. And as Lon and all of our um, stuff that will be, you know, the payment terminals, the API protocols, stuff like that, we encourage any competitor then to then integrate them because we want to be interoperable. Because we don't want to become like a cash app sort of app where it's locked in. It's an amazing app, but it's all locked into, you know, your cash app. Literally, only people who use cash app can use cash app. The advantage of Lightning is integrated absolutely everything into one another. So it would be an honor to basically, um, even if we build out the protocol for doing things, we want other companies to come and integrate that too into their own products, even if it's like not to the same scale as we do it. Um, just sort of having that experience because we're going to build that experience um, if it gets um, implemented as a standard or not. Right. It's, we're, we're going for something and, you know, we're going for a vision and whether people want to integrate that or not is up to their choice. But we're trying to make it um, at least the best choice that we can see, I suppose, um, mm-hmm. at least not not just for us, but also for but if anything, it's more for the user's choice um, because, you know, we can't just go back to being like a we can't take the same values as like a legacy web two company in this sort of thing, which is hold on to users' data at all costs. Um, don't let them move away from their accounts. Basically, be a pain, be a pain in the ass to everyone who uses your app. Uh, especially, for example, I'm at, at college. I'm switching between note apps currently between Notability and GoodNotes, and it's such a pain because I want to use GoodNotes just because it's a little bit better and has a few different features. But then. Um, the trying to get notabilities to then move all my content over from and all my history and notes I've written about my subjects into good notes is such a pain, right? But then I want mm-hmm. the experience like I want to be able to download our app, use our app, our open source hardware, which open source also means you can integrate it. Other companies can integrate our first party hardware into their products also if they wanted to. Um, and and even build like basically a competitor using our own our own um, open source hardware, um, but we want people to be able to switch from our app to a, the competitor's app to try the competitor's app, and then hopefully also move back to our app. But the, right. <laughs> but the last bit is obviously just a business move rather than you know anything else. Um, yeah. yeah, there's there's definitely there's definitely a balance. Yeah, and it's important that there's interoperability. I think that's one of the things that makes. Bitcoin and Lightning so special against the backdrop of fintech is that we do have this interoperability where you can move funds and you can you should be able to interoperate between a lot of different apps. Um, and you see all the different ways people are earning Sats now. It's like you can earn Sats in a game, you can send them to Stacker News, you can do this, and, and all of it is using the same currency, mm-hmm. um, which is I think a special feature that that we should be embracing. Um, I want to touch on one more one more point on you guys are focused on hardware and software. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it reminded me of a quote from Alan Kay, who was uh, he, he helped design one of the first desktops at Xerox Park, very influential in Steve Jobs life. And his quote was that, you know, people who are serious about software should make their own hardware. 
Um, I want to hear from you about what advantages you think will emerge from the fact that you're building both hardware and software. First of all, I love that quote. It really matches what we're doing and sort of the values and ethics we have definitely here and what I want to take where where I want to take the company because the we've sort of ever since like we you even started everything and like coming together, um, it's been sort of the idea that software just isn't enough on its own. No matter how um cool the software is, how much you optimize it and everything it won't be as cool as if, because ultimately it's got to interact with the real life. With In, in the real world, we've got to, um, you know, you want to make payments with it. You want to charge your EV with it, uh, stuff like that. And that just matters. It Having the hardware as well is so important to um, having everything work. Um, in fact, um, there's everything from even the servers we run on like we have to think about like the hardware implications of you know actually running this sort of thing on production servers running so many nodes on one server is um you know we have to think about even like the very technical things like memory corrections you know if an error if something like a solar storm comes in from the sun and accidentally flips a bit in one of your lightning transactions and corrupts it we need to correct that memory Right. Many, many things like your Raspberry Pi won't be able to do that and your Raspberry Pi will crash. Right. And it, it will just basically brick itself. It could brick itself. There's a risk it could brick itself. But for example, we, we use ECC memory, which will then protect protect that. So it's it's definitely the and especially because we're because lightning is so close to what we're doing is so close to so close to the metal, you could say, um, that um we're, you know, we're we're engineering a model around a hardware root of trust, right? That hardware root of trust cannot e- exist within anything except from something that's custom, right? Something that we've built ourselves that fits into our model and does what we want it to do. Um, in fact, the, the the hardware root of trust is what protects um, users from any sort of fiat like circumstances where because. In, in the worst case scenario, no matter how much like legally we protect ourselves, there will be a way for, um, for example, a government agency to basically go, hey, we want to seize this person's funds, right? And we will have to immediately, you know, for our own legal sake, we will have to, there's no option here. We will have to um, stop, you know, interacting with that user and providing services to that user. We will make that as difficult legally as we possibly can by like, you know, registering the Caymans and making sure legally there's a lot of protections in between that go from even separating the KYC, um, any KYC things we do um, that onboard from your fiat or anything rather anything that interacts with the fiat system is completely isolated, both both legally and also in the compute area too. Like the servers we run our fiat servers and services on are completely different to the ones we actually run your Bitcoin nodes on. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of protections um, and architectural designs that basically go into protecting users' data at all costs. And even at that point, even if they get through all of that and we're forced to um, basically stop doing um, business with a user, we still want the user to have their funds. Right. That's if it wouldn't be right for us to then take and confiscate their funds. That is not our decision. Right. If the FBI wants to go and raid their house, take all their live signers and then force them over in a legal way over in a court or something, that is not our job. 
right? Our job, our job is protecting our users from governments who might not be actually doing it for the moral right, right? You know, in countries where the government is, um, you know, corrupted or something, and even in like modern countries, the the things that the you know the three letter agencies get up to are absolutely insane when you start to look into it. Um, I mean, I can pretty safely say that every single packet since two thousand five that's ever been sent over a fiber cable on the internet is stored on the CIA and sorry, the NSA servers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's nothing we can do about that apart from work um, and make choices, both architectural, legal and technical choices about how we make our things to protect against that in the best possible way. Um, But at the same time, you know, we want to be compliant. There's, there's no, we don't want to encourage money laundering or any of that rubbish or anything because um but we want the system we that's not our choice to operate we're, we're a finance company not an ethics company right? right we're not a court of law that's up for the country or you know wherever the thing they are and if a if a three-letter agency wants to seize a company's assets that is not our job to then do it for them it's their job to you know get a warrant go into their building take the live signers and then basically force them legally to hand over the funds that's yeah. not our problem right that's not our responsibility and we will we, we will die on that hill right that's not that's not our um problem if um and the thing is that's that's the and all of that all of that relies on a hardware root of trust right the 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 all of that relies on your life signers basically not trusting us not trusting valera if valera goes hey send me all your money right because we've been legally forced to um your life signer will basically go f off go away like you're not taking any of this right because we want that to exact we want it to do that right we're, we're building in hardware protections against us because software can be changed hardware that's at your house protected by you know almost basically at that point electrons and stuff that's built on the hardware we can't change right they will protect you at all costs and you can trust those life signers will basically they they will effectively brick themselves before they even give up any funds right if you if you want them to do that they should do that right that's right. your choice they they're your hardware the hardware's open source the software that runs on that hardware is open source you can modify it if you wanted to um but the ultimately yeah overall the hardware root of trust is what makes us different from a fiat company it's right. what makes it what differentiates us from even other competitors who are just software based because software will never beat software plus hardware. There's a reason um, Apple products feel so magical when you use them because you know your AirPods, when you flip the case open, the hardware talks to the software on your phone and pops up automatically with a click. And all you have to do is press one click automatically and it does it all for you. Whereas on Android and you know, you sort of get the mess that is Android, your third party hardware. Not saying anything against Android because I did have a Pixel 6 Pro for a bit and I did try it out and I thought I really liked it. I ran I ran Graphene OS on it for a while. Um and it was really fun. But personally I'm okay with the risks that um you know there are downsides to the Apple approach. You know, there's a sort of you know, the walled garden thing. Obviously we don't want the walled garden here because we're doing open source in some bits and anything that runs you know, we're not if if we were the equivalent of Apple, iOS would all be open source, right? Mac OS mm-hmm. would all be open source and will be open to pull requests from third party developers. Other companies would be helping make it a bit like Linux, right? Um, and and then some of it would be closed source, like the stuff they run on, you know, iCloud and things that they work. 
you know, they have the full right to make that um their own code and, you know, don't share it with you because it's their their thing. But we feel that um, you know, that walled walled environment is not the thing we want to go for. In fact, it's probably the main reason um Apple products are a pain because apart from that, the hardware and the software integration is absolutely magical. That's how Apple was ha- able to get off the ground and basically blow absolutely everyone else out of the water when they introduced M1, right? Because yeah. Intel, AMD, none of them saw that coming. And then it took them years, years to come up. And they still haven't beaten the M1's efficiency because of how tightly they've integrated it from the hardware, their electron level, all the way up to their code level, right? And how good it all integrates in. And that's sort of the magic that we want to create. I like that analogy. Um, maybe to finish this conversation off, we can step back a bit and think outside of Valera, outside of the projects that you've mentioned on this on this uh, podcast, what are some of the other constraints, maybe some of the critical constraints that you see preventing Bitcoin and Lightning adoption today? And and how, how do you go, how do you think we should go about fixing them? Any any additional kind of constraints? outside of the realm of Valera? The the biggest um, customer for not, not just us, but the Lightning and Bitcoin community in general are the countries that have less developed financial systems because simply it's easier to compete if we don't have a competitor, right? There's a, It's a lot different to over here where we're um, basically... Um, we're, we're, we're very spoiled with the amount of fintech stuff and, you know, Apple Pay, Visa contactless cards. All of that is basically magic over here and it's a and there's a lot of engineering has gone into that even if all it is is basically putting on a very pretty face over a very ugly financial system behind it um most people around the world just have only have that um ugly financial system behind them right um and even way uglier than the one we have over in the west so mm-hmm. the struggle is um how do we get all these features and advantages over to the countries where they don't have the things we take for granted right because that's the that's those are the places where we can make the biggest difference not just not just on a like a, oh that coffee was quite cool because i made a payment over lightning but also to the, to the point where we're changing how communities and society works because of how you know the fits the money fits the world is a serious quote and we need to think about how we're going to deliver that money to the world Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, and that's probably the most important part is just working out how we're going to get from the code on our laptops to changing the lives of you know one of the, one of the things I want to I, I showed off to my friends was seeing a video on Twitter of a shop in South Africa selling sweets to kids with wallet of Satoshi, right? I I I played the video, I paused it. I zoomed in on the video, scanned the QR code and sent them $2 from my phone instantly in front of my friends. And that was so mind blowing for them. Right. Um, But it's the people like people like that, who we want to support that are basically exactly what the market, the the first market, because obviously there's a lot more competitiveness in, because we've, we've got to beat like modern Apple pay, for example, beating Apple pays user experience it's going to be a long while out yet. <laughs> even even for us and for our tech, like as much as we need to do, you know, there's still hardware involved and stuff like that. To, and people have got to get used to that over here. Um, but we need to think about how do we bring those benefits to the people who don't have all of that in the first place. Makes sense. You know, where they don't have internet in every home, they where they don't actually have smartphones, but rather 
the the connectivity they have is just SMS, for example. Yeah, yeah. And making a magical experience maybe easier, as you mentioned, in, in the places where, you know, they don't already have that pretty interface um, to, to rely on. And, you know, there's, there's billions of people that uh, can see their lives dramatically improved by this technology. And now it's just a matter of, you know, making, making an experience that they enjoy using. Exactly. Um, all right, let's, let's finish this off with one final segment. It's called the lightning round. I got a few rapid fire questions for you. All right. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just a quick message from our sponsor. Stackwork is a lightning powered platform for generating high quality transcripts of all your audio or video content. They combine AI engines and hundreds of human workers all over the world who are paid over the lightning network to assemble these transcripts. And that's what lets Stackwork create better, faster, and less expensive transcripts. To see the results for yourself, I use Stackwork on my personal website where I transcribe all of my full-length podcast episodes. Check that out. And if you want to learn more about Stackwork, visit stackwork.com. That is S-T-A-K work.com. First question, how many people will be operating a Lightning node in a decade? In a decade, uh, 250 million to a billion. Wow. It's the, one of the highest numbers I've heard. I think I heard, I think I've had one guest who said over a billion, um, but uh, I like it. If you could only hold one asset for the next decade and it could not be Bitcoin, what asset Ooh. would it be? Uh, for the next decade, um, just an asset in general or like? Yeah, any asset. Uh, cool. Probably real estate. That's yeah. it's people. people that's uh, that's always a solid place to go. Um, usually, um, even if the world collapses, people will need houses. So, <laughs> um, or uh, um, if you wanted to be a lot less moral, you could inf- invest in defense companies too, because they they make a lot of money. And you know, the no one's touching their defense budget for quite a while yet. So, right. Exactly. Whether it's an ethical decision is a different problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, has there been any book that has meaningfully changed your view of the world? Um, the one I've got here is The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. The Age of Surveillance Capitalism? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then final question, is there is there anyone in the Lightning or Bitcoin community that you'd like to give a shout out to for the work that they are doing? Um, first one that comes to mind are both um, Lightning Labs and um, Dusty. Um, Lightning Labs is working on Taro. Taro is a massive deal. Um, lots of people don't think it is. It's way bigger of a deal than people think it is because um, once you sort of get, we're basically tricking people into bringing their fear onto Bitcoin. So then when fear inevitably collapses, everyone goes, oh, why don't we just use Bitcoin instead? <laughs> um and to dusty because he's working on splicing and he's done basically most of the work as far as i'm aware i don't want to you know put any presumptions out there but he's done a lot of work on splicing which is one of the magical features that we have to integrate and we probably have the pleasure of um making a pull request into ldk to support awesome happy to hear that and uh thank you for taking the time this was a, a incredible conversation i really enjoyed this and i hope we can do it again soon Sure, I'd love to. Thank you. All right, it's only been a few hours since I posted my last video with Alex Edelman, 
So there are no new comments in from listeners in the last few hours, uh, but I will be keeping an eye out over the weekend for all the comments, sats, questions you guys send in, and keep an eye out for a few new episodes coming up next week. Talk soon.